Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello, everyone. My name is Nick, and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure, where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together... We can make a difference. My name is Em, and for my admissions essay, I'm going to tell all of you in podcast land why I'm going to make an amazing episode. As president of Verbal Diorama, I'm skilled at commanding the attention of a room and discussing very important movie plots. I'm able to recall hundreds of important movie trivia details at the drop of a hat, and I feel comfortable using podcast jargon in everyday life. And that's why you should vote for me, Em, Current podcaster for what was this for again? In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero, someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em. Happy Halloween to you all. This is Verbal Diorama, episode 21, uh, legally old enough to drink in the United States of America. And going against tradition, as I kind of have always done in my life, I'm going to be talking about Legally Blonde, which if you think is some vapid, silly, early 2000s comedy, well, you've come to the right place because I, like Elle, should never be underestimated as to my choice of movies to cover. So a little bit of news. Uh, I recently had a chat with Pulp Serial. It was a chat that we were supposed to do in August. We had some terrible technical difficulties. It's out now, I believe, on his Patreon. Um, And I think he's going to be releasing it to everyone. I think he said Halloween, Um, but had a great chat with him. Um, He's a really cool guy. Um, He's introduced me to all of these pulp movies um, and obviously I appear to have this love of pulp cinema that I didn't actually realise before so that was great and it's it was lovely to actually sit and chat to him for I think it was about 45 minutes which is really short for me and also I'm going to be chatting with the lovely guys over at At The Flicks. We're going to be talking about something that I'm really interested in which is female superheroes and just kind of female heroes in general and I'm always happy to be involved with those guys at the flicks because they've really supported Verbal Diorama a lot and again this was something that was postponed because um, I was ill a little while ago and obviously I appreciate those guys for being so flexible and for rearranging so hopefully that should be out soon too. Um, Another thing that I just wanted to talk about was um, 
quite recently um i did a survey online and it's something that i wanted to do because i wanted to kind of gauge what i was doing right what i was doing wrong and a lot of the comments i got back were super nice super constructive um which is great but one of the questions that i asked was specifically about patreon and i was surprised because the vast majority of people said that they would consider supporting the show financially so I've been thinking about it for a little while and thinking about well, what can I do I had a Kofi account which I used to mention I don't really mention that anymore Patreon is just one of those things that I've always it's always kind of put me off a little bit um, and I'm not sure why but hearing the feedback from people that they would consider supporting with Patreon I, I guess it's kind of made me think that actually maybe I should do it um, so I am planning to launch a Patreon, but I need to do it in such a way that means I can fulfill perks and stuff without overloading myself, because that has been something that's happened quite a lot in recent months where I've taken quite a lot on and I've really kind of had to take a step back recently. Um, I've been struggling a little bit in all honesty, but I, I need to get back to a, a good place where I'm comfortable with everything. So I need to make sure that I can cope with it. Um, I don't know when it'll be launched, but I guess at some point. Um, I just kind of wanted to mention it, I, but I want to make it clear that no one's going to be forced into paying. Verbal Diorama will continue to be free for people who prefer free or can't afford to sign up or whatever. And I'm never the sort of person who is going to demand money. But there's obviously are some people out there that who are willing to help out and that is so wonderful and so lovely um and so those people if they want to they can sign up to patreon and they're gonna get little extra bits and bobs to say thank you um and that's really all it's about really is just to thank those people who are supporting the show um and genuinely i'm so grateful for any sort of support um moving on right i want to talk about legally blonde one of the reasons i wanted to come here tonight was to discuss our future. Of course. I plan on running for office someday. Warner. I think we should break up. What? Oh. <laughs> if I'm going to be a senator, I need someone serious. I'm seriously in love with you. I love you. Liar! This is the type of girl that Warner wants to marry. A law student. Going to Harvard is the only way I'm going to get the love of my life back. For my admissions essay. Action. I'm going to tell all of you why I'm going to make an amazing lawyer. I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. I object. Her list of extracurricular activities is impressive. She was in a Ricky Martin video. Aren't we always looking for diversity? Welcome to Harvard. Don't be scared. Everyone will love you. No. Uh, I'm sorry, are you here to see me? I go here. You got into Harvard Law? What, like it's hard? I got a PhD from Berkeley. MBA from Wharton. I've been deworming orphans in Somalia. Two weeks ago, I saw Cameron Diaz at Fred Siegel, and I talked her out of buying this truly heinous Angora sweater. <laughs> Malibu Barbie lives. I've come to join your study group. Our group is full. Oh, is this like an RSVP thing? No, it's like a smart people thing. I give her two more weeks. What is this? We're betting to see how much longer you're going to last. You're not smart enough, sweetie. I'll show you how valuable Al Woods can be. MGM Pictures presents... Do you have a resume? 
It's pink. And it's scented. I think it gives it a little something extra. A comedy about knowing who you are. You think she just woke up one morning and said, I think I'll go to law school today. And showing what you've got. We're defending Brooke Window. You can buy her exercise tips on infomercials. Wait! Exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people just don't shoot their husbands. You're fired. What? I have new representation. Reese Witherspoon. Do you remember when we spent those four amazing hours in the hot tub after winter formal? This is so much better than that. Legally Blonde. Oh, look how cute. There's like a judge in everything. Not for Life seems to be going swimmingly for sorority socialite Elle Woods, homecoming queen, president of Delta Nu, and girlfriend to Warner Huntington III. Elle has no qualms with the way her life is heading, particularly as she suspects Warner is soon to pop the question. However, things take a turn when Warner dumps her on the night she thought he was going to propose. When Elle is dumped for being not serious enough, she realizes the perfect way to get Warner back is to become a serious law student. So she applies to Harvard Law School and is accepted because her scores are perfect and because her hyper-feminine joie de vivre makes for a nice change. But this is only the beginning as she strives to prove her worth to Warner, her professors, her fellow students and even herself, all while dressed in pink and with her chihuahua bruiser by her side. And as she realises that she's actually pretty damn good at the whole law thing, things much more important than Warner enter her life. So, cast... I mean, Reese Witherspoon, <laughs> Reese Witherspoon as Elle Woods, she is just a phenomenon in this movie. Um, it really kind of did everything for her career at this point. Um, Lou Wilson as Emmett, uh, Selma Blair as Vivian Kensington, Matthew Davis as Warner, Victor Garber as Professor Callahan, Jennifer Coolidge as Paulette Bonafonte. Ali Lata as Brooke Taylor Wyndham and a small role but a role nonetheless for Linda Cardellini as Chutney Wyndham. So the movie was directed by Robert Lukatic, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and it was written by Karen McCullough-Lutz and Kirsten Smith. And the partnership of Karen McCullough-Lutz and Kirsten Smith also wrote the awesome 10 Things I Hate About You and the highly underrated The House Bunny, which is in a similar vein to Legally Blonde, with a really charming central performance by Anna Faris. Um, I highly recommend The House Bunny. It's a very sweet movie. Um, they also wrote Ella Enchanted, uh, She's the Man, and The Ugly Truth. On the whole, I would say that this partnership is really, really good. As always, brief production history. It's never brief, but I say it anyway. Um, so the movie was produced by Taipei Films, which was founded by Reese Witherspoon and Deborah Siegel. And it was founded because Reese wanted to make quality films aimed at young women. Uh, in 2012, Type A merged with Bruna Papandria's Make Movies to create Pacific Standard, which produced movies like the Oscar-nominated Gone Girl and Wild, obviously the latter of which starred Reese Witherspoon, and also the HBO series Big Little Lies, which is obviously a completely massive hit. Um, in 2016, uh, Reese Witherspoon gained full control of the company after Papandria departed, and that November, Witherspoon, uh, along with Seth Rodsky and Otomedia, formed Hello Sunshine, uh, which has Pacific Standard as a subsidiary. So basically, if you think Reese Witherspoon is just a dumb blonde, you couldn't be further from the truth. She is a powerhouse Hollywood producer who just happens to have 
an amazing career as an actress. Um, I've previously spoken about her in Pleasantville, um, which is one of my earlier episodes, which I obviously highly recommend the movie Pleasantville because it's wonderful and she's great in that movie. Um, She made Pleasantville in 1998. She was just 22 years old. Her roles as Tracy Flick in Election and as Annette Hargrove in Cruel Intentions, uh, alongside her future husband, Ryan Philippe, came in 1999. Um, And then in 2001... Legally Blonde. Bearing in mind at this point she and Ryan Philippe were married and they had a baby daughter. She had not long given birth when she starred in Legally Blonde. So Legally Blonde was based on a semi-autobiographical book by Amanda Brown and it was based on her experiences at Stanford Law School. So Amanda who was obsessed with fashion and beauty attended Stanford Law in 1993 And being blonde and pretty meant that she clashed with the more conservative personalities of her law student peers. And so she started writing about her experiences in letters to her parents, which she adapted into a manuscript written on pink paper, of course, um, which the literary agent she sent to was completely fascinated by. Um, Things like the line about changing semester to Ovesta genuinely happened at Stanford Law School in the 90s as did the uh, the vote on the opposition to toilet paper chafing, which is amazing and, and totally realistic because you wouldn't want to be chafed by toilet paper ever. So when this unpublished manuscript was delivered to producer Mark Platt, he just thought it was amazing. You know, he thought it was hilarious, it was sexy and it was empowering. And he described Elle as a truly irrepressible modern heroine. And so when it came to casting for the movie, Reese Witherspoon wasn't their first choice or even their second or third or fourth. Um, So the first choice was actually Tori Spelling, um, who's the daughter of TV mogul Aaron Spelling, who coincidentally Elle lived opposite in Bel Air. Um, Tori Spelling, probably most famous from Beverly Hills 90210, but she declined. Um, And then Christina Applegate was considered but she said no because she worried about being typecast as a ditzy blonde, which is funny because if you actually read the script for Legally Blonde, it's quite clear that Elle is blonde, but she's certainly not ditzy. Um, so other names in the mix were Catherine Heigl, Gwyneth Paltrow, Alicia Silverstone, who obviously coming off of her most famous role as Cher in Clueless at the time, and also Charlize Theron, were all asked and it was the director Robert Lukatek who saw Reese Witherspoon in election and suggested her. Joining Reese was her Cruel Intentions co-star Selma Blair and the pair were good friends obviously set to play rivals in the movie and the part was originally offered to Chloe Savigny who turned it down because she thought it was just another silly rom-com um, so the part was offered to Selma who as Vivian is the perfect antithesis to Bright Sunny L. When it came to the location of the movie, obviously the original book is set at Stanford Law School. Um, but Stanford Law School refused to allow the producers um, to name the college or set the movie at Stanford Law. Um, also, uh, L was supposed to attend the University of Southern California, but they also declined the production. Originally, the plan was to set the movie at University of Southern California at the start but the images of Elle as an undergraduate sorority girl didn't sit well with them because they felt it was an adverse stereotype of their students despite the fact that although she is a sorority girl Elle is incredibly smart and adept in a multitude of circumstances 
Nevertheless, USC did agree to the movie being filmed on their campus um, and it was filmed there and at UCLA and Rose City High School in Pasadena. And they all substituted for Harvard Law School. Um, Harvard Law School only appeared in its entirety in aerial shots of the campus. Once Reese was cast, she was absolutely dedicated to not only playing the part perfectly, but also addressing harmful sorority girl stereotypes of being really bitchy and mean all the time. She did her own anthropological study and she spent time with real sorority girls from USC. They went shopping and they went to lunch and she discovered that these young women were not only smart and beautiful, but also valued their friendships with other women. And unlike what movies might tell us, these women were all about supporting other women and absolutely none of them were blonde bimbos. These girls were smart and Reese Witherspoon really wanted to portray this type of smart young woman. The movie's ending was also changed last minute. Um, So test audiences didn't like this typical romantic ending of Emmett kissing Elle on the courthouse steps after she wins her case. The movie's romantic subplot is very much a tertiary plot in the movie. It's kind of barely registering. And so the test audiences felt that this kiss was completely out of place. So the ending was completely reshot. And um, the ending that we got with Elle's graduation and the famous We Did It speech um, were actually shot in London at Dulwich College because Reese was filming The Importance of Being Earnest. As is kind of a little bit of a weird tradition now, um, I bet you're wondering... How could I possibly get the obligatory Keanu reference in? Super easily, as it happens. Um, Because Keanu has a link to this movie, or more specifically, a link to Reese Witherspoon. And additionally, a link to a movie I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, but not yet covered. So, back in 2013, a script by John Spates was being made into a movie. It was a sci-fi romance set on a stricken cargo ship, where one man awakens to find himself alone. That movie was set to star Keanu Reeves as the man in question and Reese Witherspoon entered negotiations to star alongside him as his female co-star. The movie did eventually get made and it was released in 2016, but without Reeves or Witherspoon. That movie is Passengers. (laughs) I guess I really need to cover Passengers now. There you go. That's my thing for Keanu. Um, So, okay, why is Legally Blonde great? It's probably easier to ask why it isn't. The movie prides itself on going against all of those tired, old, cliched stereotypes of blondes, not only in cinema, but also society, I guess. Um, In cinema, kind of going back almost a century, blondes tend to be categorised as detailed by Annette Kuhn in The Women's Companion to International Film in one of three categories. So you have the dumb blonde, Um, which is a blonde with an over and natural sexuality and profound manifestation of ignorance. They use examples such as Jane Mansfield, Marion Davis, Alice White, Marie Wilson and Mamie Van Doren. You have the ice cold blonde or the icy blonde. So a blonde who hides fire beneath an exterior of coldness, such as Grace Kelly, Veronica Lake, Kim Novak and Eva Marie Saint. And finally, you have the blonde bombshell. Uh, a blonde with explosive sexuality and is available to men at a price, such as Brigitte Bardot, Lana Turner, Jean Harlow, Joan Blondell, Mae West, Barbara Eden, Diana Dawes, and of course, the epitome of the blonde bombshell, Marilyn Monroe. 
So Jean Harlow is widely perceived to have been the original blonde bombshell by starring in movies like Platinum Blonde in 1931 and Bombshell in 1933. And it's a stereotype enhanced and personified by Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield in the 1950s. It's a truth universally acknowledged, however, that despite their beauty, none were anything like the characters they portrayed. Interestingly, Warner comments that he needs a Jackie, not a Marilyn, which is obviously a comment towards Marilyn Monroe's alleged affair with President John F. Kennedy, whose wife was the decidedly more first lady-like, and I use the term in inverted commas, Jackie Kennedy. Blondes in the early 20th century cinema were often paired with a brunette, sort of in a classic war for a love interest, such as in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, where the bubbly blonde Marilyn Monroe was paired against this wise brunette Jane Russell. The blonde is meant to personify the attainable girl next door, while the brunette is kind tends to be more haughty and distant. And this is simultaneously perfectly portrayed and inverted in Legally Blonde because whilst Elle and Vivian start as the typical blonde and brunette rivals for Warner's affection, Vivian starts to see Elle's true kind nature and the two form a wonderful friendship, both fully dumping all affection for Warner and becoming good friends. And it's true that women are regularly pitted against one another. You only need to take the recent which do you prefer, Wonder Woman or Captain Marvel arguments online as proof. And hey, here's the thing, you can like both, or indeed neither. It's completely up to you, but you don't have to like one or the other just because they're women. It's something I could probably rant on for a little while about, but I'm not going to. Um, this is an episode on Legally Blonde. So Legally Blonde goes against pretty much every trope it possibly could. Um, it makes Elle, um, who's someone of incredible privilege and wealth, it makes her kind and honest and loyal. Um, pretty much as soon as the movie starts, it sells Elle as your sort of typical blonde sorority girl, desperate for this male validation and expecting Warner to propose. So you have this idea in your head of who this character is and what her motivation is to be a popular student and ultimately this kind of ideal trophy wife. Um, she does seem a little vapid at the start and it's not until we see her shopping with her friends that we get the true value of Elle Woods. She might love fashion, but she's no idiot. She knows that dress is old, and the audience made exactly the same mistake as the salesperson did. Because Elle is smart. Like, so smart. <laughs> like, seriously smart. I've done a little bit of research online, and Elle Woods really could get into Harvard Law School. I mean, seriously, She's in the top 0.1% of students in the LSAT exams with a score of 179 out of 180. And having a fashion degree wouldn't rule you out of admission to law school, which, unlike medical school, doesn't have uh, pre-existing strict admission requirements. She has a range of extracurricular activities, being the president of the Delta New Sorority. The movie frames her admittance as being inclusive um, and obviously a decision by a group of old men which kind of adds to the perviness a little bit but even without her admissions video Elle was clearly smart capable and resourceful enough to get into Harvard it's true that the movie does overly embellish though what Elle could achieve at Harvard Law because the truth is first year law students probably wouldn't be able to get involved in a criminal court case let alone question a witness or become legal counsel it's something that's, from what I've discovered, probably more of a third year internship student could achieve. Um, but truthfully, where this story is concerned, there's no one on the legal team who could have successfully defended Brooke other than Elle. 
Only L knows the fine art rules of perm maintenance. And only Elle was genuine and respectful enough to keep Brooke's alibi confidential, as she promised she would, despite none of her colleagues actually being able to get that information from Brooke in the first place. None of her colleagues could have or would have done either. Elle is proof that whilst a degree is a good indication of your intelligence, it's not the only indication. Elle is good-natured, she cares deeply for her friends, sort of going against the stereotype of blondes being bitchy or cliquey, which Honestly, it's present in most teen comedies where you have this sort of sorority girl or head cheerleader or whatever. You know, she meets the shy, um, abused Paulette in an L bar and pretty much immediately they become confidants and good friends. And Elle puts her law school knowledge to work for Paulette. So Paulette can get custody of her dog from her abusive ex. Additionally, although most of her peers are rude and mean to her, Elle forms genuine friendships with unlikely people, such as David, the really tall guy who goes out of his way to help her reach books. And she reciprocates the favour by bigging him up, weirdly, to a couple of girls who are shunning him by claiming he shunned her after an amazing night. I mean, the main friendships we see are with her older sorority sisters, Margot and Serena. They're probably the weakest part of the movie for me. Obviously, she becomes friends with Vivian, eventually. And Paulette. Um, and Paulette is the relationship with which Elle is given the most screen time with. The famous bend and snap scene, uh, which very almost wasn't in the movie, came about because they wanted this B-plot for Paulette. And originally the nail bar was to be robbed, but that didn't feel right for the tone of the movie. And it was Karen McCullough Lutz who basically suggested, well, what if Elle shows Paulette a move to get the attention of this UPS guy? Um, Because what friend hasn't shown a girlfriend the time-tested way to get a guy's attention, am I right? So the bend and snap has become synonymous with Reese Witherspoon, who still, almost 20 years later, gets requests to bend and snap. Um, The bend and snap scene was choreographed by Tony Basil, who most people will know from her hit 1981 song, Nikki. And kind of going back to Elle, because I, I feel like there's so much we could say about Elle Woods as a character... But the one thing that sets Elle apart, obviously apart from the fact that she's not your stereotypical blonde, that she is kind and loyal and fiercely protective of her friends, is the fact that Elle is brave. She travels across the country to attend Harvard, which is no small feat for anyone who's travelled anywhere for a job or to be with someone or to attend university And then once she gets there, she's treated awfully by most of her fellow students, which would cause anyone to feel down, um, especially someone so far away from family and friends. And just as she starts to feel included and worthy of her law degree, she's sexually harassed by her professor, the person who she trusted and thought was interested in her because of her law ability rather than the fact that she's a beautiful blonde young woman. Um, And the movie really smartly has Elle tell someone straight away. And not just anyone, but Emmett. And it also has Emmett believe her. Um, It would be so easy for this movie to have Emmett dismiss Elle or for Elle to just never report it. And obviously it's Vivian who witnesses the harassment and misinterprets it as Elle just trying to get ahead in her degree. Um, And in the era of Me Too and Time's Up, Um, We know this has happened to women and men in all walks of life and careers, but notably in Hollywood. 
it's a small scene, but it's really powerful that Elle has the courage of her convictions to immediately report it to Emmett and for Emmett to be behind her and support her. We don't know what happened to Professor Callahan, but from him not appearing at graduation, I think we could probably take from that that he was fired. It's just a bit of a shame, actually, that the movie doesn't follow up on it. The movie also smartly reduces the romantic subplot to almost nothing. Um, So we see Elle and Emmett have this connection, but it's never actioned on uh, because the story is about Elle and her journey to becoming the woman she was always meant to be. And whilst the start of the movie focuses on her intention to follow Warner to Harvard Law to win him back, she soon realises that he doesn't deserve her and she's worth more than she's been made by society to think that she is. Even her own father, when told she wants to go to Harvard to study law, comments that law school is for people who are boring and ugly and serious and that she, Button, is none of those things. You know, it's true. Elle isn't. What Elle is, is the feminist hero you never knew you needed. And why? Why is she the feminist hero you never knew you needed? Well, she's wildly underestimated every turn. Her love of pink and more feminine interests doesn't mean she doesn't have a brain. She challenges stereotypes despite being the victim of misogyny and sexism. She wins a place at a prestigious Ivy League school. She remains warm and friendly with a strong sense of self-belief and she stands up for what she thinks is right. No matter who you are, you can feel empowered by Elle's story. And that is why Legally Blonde is such a wonderful, underrated comedy. It's charming and funny and sweet and it's really well worth your time. Legally Blonde was a massive success for MGM, which was struggling at the time. It had a modest budget of $18 million. Um, It actually ended up making $141 million worldwide. Um, So there was an inevitable sequel in 2003, which was called uh, Legally Blonde 2, Red, White and Blonde, which is okay and still fun to watch. But for me, it never really captures the spirit of the original. Um, I'm not going to be talking about Legally Blondes or the musical. I've seen trailers for both. Um, Both look terrible. And finally, a third movie, Legally Blonde 3, has been announced for release in 2020. And I will be there. So I always ask for social media thoughts and I've had a few. I want to go over to Twitter. And the first comment is by At The Midnight Myth, which is the Midnight Myth podcast. This is Laurel. And she says, Elle Woods is a feminist icon. This movie with humour and heart challenges the idea that there's only one way to be a strong, successful woman. I love the energy dedicated to femme friendships and that Vivian, who could be a one-dimensional villain, also gets well-rounded treatment. And it's really true. Um, I've mentioned Vivian very briefly, but Vivian is actually a really great villain at the start to Elle because she is obviously the person who has Warner um, and is now engaged to Warner. But truthfully, he doesn't deserve her either. <laughs> he, Warner Huntington III is a complete loser. Um, and I'm really happy that the movie ends with the acknowledgement that Warner's actually not only a terrible human being, but also he's a really bad law student as well. Um, and that both Ellen Vivian are just miles ahead of him. At Black Girls Do Stuff, which is Nick over at Black Girls Do Stuff 2, said, Absolutely love this movie. I love that it took a very well-known stereotype and used those things that are usually used to make fun of that character and make it her strengths. Also, I still bend and snap. Hashtag what like it's hard. I think we all used to bend and snap. 
In fact, I think we should all just continue bending and snapping for all eternity because with that success rate, it might be well worth it. Over on Instagram, um, Movies at the Mat said there's a lot of fantastic things about this film, from the delightful character of Elle Woods to how well the writing holds up and will continue to hold up, but my favourite part is the relationship between Elle and Vivian. I feel like so many other movies would have kept them as bitter rivals all the way to the end credits, with Vivian flunking out of school or something. Instead, they realised what they had in common and became good friends. And at Unexceptionals, Firstly, I'm loving how you are choosing the pinkest and least Halloween movie to discuss this month. I love everything about what is happening right now. Secondly, Legally Blonde is a feel-good film, yes, but I love this whole beauty and brain dynamic. Lots of characters before this were one, not both, and I love how they played with it in this film. Maybe getting a Harvard degree to prove to your ex are not the best motivations, but she dumps him at the end and calls him shallow, which is real hashtag girl power moment. And finally... Uh, Lorraine Purden, which is, by the way, Lorraine from Show Me the Podcast. I'm, I said a couple of episodes ago, actually, I think it was on The Matrix, because it was Lorraine who suggested that I do The Matrix. And The Matrix turned out to be super popular. And then um, Lorraine and Harry at Show Me the Podcast um, decided that they didn't want a podcast anymore. But now they've recently announced that they're back. So welcome back, ladies. It's nice to see you back with us again. So this is Lorraine from Show Me the Podcast. And she said, love this film, seen it many times. She definitely goes against what we are used to seeing in films with girls similar to her. She has kindness and morals, just wants to help and is just a nice person. Plus, she is so easily dismissed because of her looks and attitude, an example of how we shouldn't judge. Her and Paulette are just amazing. Looking forward to listening. Also, great Halloween choice. Well, thank you very much. I think so too. So, this ends the episode on Legally Blonde. Um, thank you for listening. As always, I love to hear your thoughts on Legally Blonde or just kind of blondes in cinema in general. Um, it's something that I am quite interested in. Um, I might write an article on it. I'm not too sure. I'm thinking about it. But yeah, let me know if you have any thoughts on Legally Blonde. Um, and the next episode... Well, the next full episode will be Sunday the 10th of November and it'll be a collaboration with a mystery man. Well, not really a mystery man, more mystery men. And by that, I mean the movie is Mystery Men and the man is Andy from Geek Salad. And it's not a mystery because I just told you. But I'm really excited because this is my first guest since The Mummy and The Mummy is still my highest downloaded episode ever. So Andy and I are going to be talking about Mystery Men. I'm very excited about it. It's been a long time coming, having Andy on. We've been talking about him coming on for ages um, and we finally got a date booked and I'm delighted that he's coming on the show. Um, But in the meantime, you think you got away from something spooky for Halloween. But there's a bonus episode coming out on Halloween. But shh. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods, Speed, Aladdin 1992-2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix, John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan and Edge of Tomorrow. 
And for people who are wondering, yes, I do say that every single time I have a list, I go down the list. I have no idea what I'm going to do when it's 100 long, but for the time being, I quite like going through my list. They can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal Diorama. You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions. The email address is verbaldiorama at gmail.com. My website is verbaldiorama.com. If you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes and I'd really appreciate that. I'm also available on Podchaser as well. Um, So if Podchaser is your website of choice for podcasts, then you can find me on there and you can also rate and review. Um, And I don't know if you've heard, but uh, I have a little column over at Film Stories. Um, And yeah, let's just say when I got a copy of that magazine, I wasn't really sure what to do with myself because I knew it was coming and I knew it was happening. But I was like, I'm not going to believe it until I physically hold it in my hands. And then I physically held it in my hands and it was just the most marvellous thing ever. (laughs) Um, So Film Stories magazine is an independent British movie magazine. Regardless of the fact that I'm writing in it at the moment or not, I have subscribed to that magazine for some time because I love it and I I really uh, am fully behind what it does. Um, And I would love it if you would support it as well. Just because so many wonderful people put so much time into it. Um, So if you do want to support it, you can pop over to filmstories.co.uk slash magazine um, and you can purchase uh, one-off copies of the back catalogue or you can subscribe. And obviously with things like Christmas coming up, a magazine subscription might be a wonderful gift for someone. So yeah, just have a think about it. Right, this is it. I'm going to say goodbye, but I'm going to finish with this. Podcasting. What? Like it's hard? Bye. Movie should know. Movie should know.